have a little different type of Sunday school class than normal. The Lord has shown me some things here, and I want to uh, bring these out. Let's begin in Genesis 15. This will be an exhortation to godliness, or you could say a warning for all of us that we need to be in the way, we need to walk with the Lord. Uh, I want to teach on the judgment of God past and future. In Genesis, before we go there, there's a verse in Ezekiel I wanted to read. I can find it here. This is Ezekiel 33, 6. And this is talking about the watchman. And the word, I looked this word up, watchman, and it means being aware of a situation in order to keep from being surprised by an enemy or to peer into the distance. And I believe that many people today, uh, Christians, are very short-sighted. And even though they know things are approaching, they kind of push this away and push it away and push it away. And you can only do that for so long before you face certain realities. But it talks about the watchman. It says, but if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, and the people were not warned, and the sword comes and takes any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity by his blood. I will require at the watchman's hand. So those who see certain things are to, well, not always, but pertaining to what's coming down the road that we may have to deal with. The watchman or whoever sees this should should bring that out so that others can see that. Now, in Genesis, we're going to look at, first of all, judgment past, and I'm going to deal with just four major world powers that are are, uh, seen in the Old Testament, the biblical um, account of them that we know. But in Genesis 15, verse 12, now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham, and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them four hundred years. Now, we know who this is talking about. And also, the nation whom they, they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. And turn to Exodus 12. Verse 41. Now, this is talking about Egypt. And the children of Israel were in bondage in Egypt for 400 years. Uh, In verse 41, and it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, on that very same day, it came to pass that all the armies of the Lord, or the people of God, went out from the land of Egypt. And the reason why they went out from the land of Egypt was because that God had set forth his judgment upon Egypt. His judgment came in a certain time. And we know the story how Moses went to Pharaoh and he brought the judgment of God to this uh, Egyptian monarch or to the land uh, of Egypt. And the children of Israel went free. 
Then you have the, the next major world power were the Assyrians. The Assyrian Empire was a, an empire that covered most of the biblical area that we know of Israel and, and out further toward Iraq and so forth. It's a big area. And these people were merciless. They were brutal. They would conquer towns, cities, nations, and they would, they would burn the cities. They would burn children. They would rape the women. Uh, they would take them at the city gates, the men that resisted, and impale them on wooden stakes. Um, and one of the things that they did for entertainment, you know, we have entertainment today. One of the things they did for entertainment was torture people. That was a, a thing where they would gather and be entertained by torture. And so the Lord watched that, and at a point in time, God judged uh, the, the Assyrian Empire. And we're going to come back to this in a little bit. But his judgment came. And one of the means by which God used to judge the Assyrians, he uses various means, but their, their power and their hold that they had in the ancient world was just broken, and it left the vacuum that was filled by the Babylonian Empire, which is the next empire. Now, we know about the Babylonian Empire. We know about Nebuchadnezzar and Surat, uh, Daniel, and uh, some of the other books were uh, Jeremiah and so forth that prophesy about the Babylonian Empire. But turn to Jeremiah, just one verse. Now, when they rose to power, they subdued Judah, Jerusalem, Syria, Egypt, and, and other countries, of all the, the um, Gentile powers in, in the ancient world, the Babylonian armies and the kings were the strongest. But God saw that there was a time that he was going to judge that power. In Jeremiah 25, 12, then it will come to pass when 70 years are completed that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, says the Lord. And I will make it a perpetual desolation. So even though it may have taken 70, 80 years or so, God said he was going to judge them through Jeremiah and other prophets, and eventually judgment came. The next major power that we see in the Bible is the Roman Empire. And we pretty much know that of all the empires, they were the, the, the one that was spread out the most through much of Europe, which the other, the other powers weren't, and even all the way up into England. And I actually looked at this, and there are various views of why they believe the Roman Empire fell. And I'll just uh, list a few. They believe it was, uh, could be traced to morals and values, which is true, political corruption, civil war, and the like. But I believe that the fall of all these has a common thread. And we'll look at that in a minute. So at a point in time, God watched the Roman Empire and it lasted over 500 years, and he watched that, and at a point in time, he stepped in and he judged the Roman Empire. 
Now, the judgment of these world powers, I believe, can be traced to one thread that we see in Isaiah. So let's turn to Isaiah. Isaiah 34. I'll read this out of, <coughs> excuse me, out of the New King James, and I'll read it out of the Amplified. Isaiah 34, 8. For it is the day of the Lord's vengeance, the year of recompense for the cause of Zion. And the Amplified says, For the Lord has a day of vengeance, a year of recompense for the cause of Zion. Now, in the Bible, Zion refers to Jerusalem. But in Lamentations and in some other scriptures, when you look at them in Lamentations, it refers to the daughter of Zion, and it's referring to the people of God. And in another scripture, I think it's in Isaiah, I'm not sure, it talks about Zion, and it's, it's related to the people of God, not the city of Jerusalem. So when it says here that he has a vengeance or a year of recompense, there is a time where God steps in because, as the King James says, because of the controversy of Zion or because of the cause of Zion. In other words, there will be by these nations a touching of the people of God. Where, where their hand comes forth and they persecute and they oppress and they kill and so forth, the people of God for no real apparent reason. Now, the judgment that we see in the Bible is one thing. Now, I'm not saying that this is necessarily across the board for every nation, but I'll, I'll bring a few things out here. It is something that once you see begin in a country, uh, the Lord begins to judge that. It, well, it begins, but in his time, he judges that in various ways where that nation has many, many, many problems and difficulties. Now, going back to Egypt, go, go back to Genesis 15. So we're dealing right now with God's judgment past, and I want to get to God's judgment future. So down in verse 13, we read this, and I want to draw your attention to this again. Then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and listen to this, and they will afflict them 400 years. So Egypt, through their various pharaohs in 400 years, stretched forth their hands to persecute and afflict the people of God. And so the Lord sees that and he watches that. And whenever they began that, the time of the end for them was sealed. And we see that God, by great miracles, delivers the people of God out of Egypt. But that's, I believe, is the thread that we'll see here with Egypt. He, he del delivers them and he uh, judges that nation. Now, the Assyrian Empire, if you'll remember, the northern kingdom of Israel, there, remember there was a split, and ten tribes went to the north, they stayed there, and two stayed to the south because of the taxation and so forth. The ten in the north had approximately, I don't know, was it 20 or 30 kings? I think it was 20 kings. Not one king was a godly king. 
And so in the span of those years, the Lord watches generation after generation, and, and certain generations were so evil, and they had this evil influence of the king. So eventually, God says, I'm going to judge that nation, uh, northern kingdom, and he sends the Assyrians. God's going to use them. But remember, these nations are brutal nations. They are ungodly people, but yet God used them to chastise his people. But God says, I will judge them. And the Assyrians, who were, as I said before, brutal people, at a point in time... You know, once again, God says, I'm going to judge them, and he brings a judgment upon them. So the Assyrians attack the northern part of Israel, and Judah, they're under the protection of God. And, and let's just read that for a minute. In 2 Kings, they're able to subdue and take into captivity all the northern tribes of Israel, 10 of them. In uh, 2 Kings... Let me see here, 19. 2 Kings 19, verse 35. And it came to pass, now see, the, the, um, the southern kingdom of Judah, they had some godly kings. Most of them were not, but they had some godly kings. So their judgment was pushed back further. In verse 35, and it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians one hundred and and 85,000, and when the people arose early in the morning, there were the cor corpses all dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went away and returned home and remained at Nineveh. So because the people, some of the people had a heart for God, and because they had some kings that were godly, God had his protection uh, over the, the, the southern kingdom of Judah. But in a point in time, they, they digressed, and they became more and more evil. And that's when God sends the Babylonians. So the Babylonian Empire comes into power, and no longer is the Syrian Empire in control of the, mainly of the world at that time. Now the Babylonians were, and he brings them in to judge them. But remember, with the Assyrians... They touched the people of God. With the Babylonians, you can see this very thing also with Nebuchadnezzar. He takes the children and with, with Daniel and he throws them into the fiery furnace, not with Daniel, into the fiery furnace. And you see him in the, in the lions and so forth. So you see these different things going on where Nebuchadnezzar uh, touches the people of God. And I believe because of that, that sealed their destiny. Not just moral decay in the country, not just because the politicians were crooked, not just because uh, maybe inflation was, was starting and, and all these other causes that people say you know, are the cause of this empire. But I believe it's because of this common thread where they touched the people of God and when they touched, because of the controversy of Zion, the Lord saw that, and he lets it go for some time. With Egypt, it was 400 years. But it, it, there's a day at which, how does that verse say? Um, a year of recompense. There is a year of recompense where the Lord sets in his heart, 
this is when the judgment is going to come for this nation. And, and so that occurs. And if you remember, the Babylonians took uh, Judah into captivity for seven year, 70 years, and at the end of that 70 years, the Lord judged them. And the Babylonian Empire just fizzled right out. Just as, as much a wealth, power that their armies had, their technology of the day, still, at the very end there, everything just fell right apart, everything. And they were no longer, and to this day, uh, are not a world power. Now, we come down to Rome, the Roman Empire. I looked at this and um, did some, some research because I wanted to see. I knew that the uh, Roman Empire persecuted the Christians. We know about the Colosseum uh, and, and so forth and Nero. Uh, but I wanted to look at this and see what I could find. And this is what I found. The Roman Empire, Empire didn't just persecute Christians. They heavily persecuted Christians. So there was 150-year persecution. 150 years, that's almost uh, as long as the United States have, has been a country. And then after that, there was 31 years of peace. Then there was 11 years of persecution. Then 42 years of peace. Then they call it nine years of the great persecution, where they were all out killing and doing all this crazy stuff. And, and the Lord sees this. And he has reasons why he sets his times. The times and the seasons are in the hand of God. And at a point in time, after 500 years, the Roman Empire dissolves never to be as it was before. Never. Why? Because I believe of this common thread going through these that they touched the people of God. And when... There was a controversy, the controversy of Zion. When, when that happens, the Lord sees it. And I'm sure that some of the Christians wondered, you know, why doesn't God come down and change this? Why doesn't he, you know, do something? Why does he allow these things to happen? And, and God has his reasons, and we're not going to, to, to study that right now. Uh, but there is something he's after in the church then, in every age, actually, and, and today, he's after something. Now, let's continue on to modern days. For example, England. England, uh, centuries ago, had its territories all across the world. And I pulled up a map uh, online of, uh, I guess, 1700s, 1600s, 1700s, and it showed the English Empire, and it was spread in all countries, in Africa, in Asia, Europe, all over the place. It was a very vast empire. And one of the things that the British government did was whenever they established a colony, they would send missionaries. They would, send, uh, they would have a missionary outpost, and their uh, thrust was to take the gospel to the people. And I believe because of that, the Lord had allowed great prosperity to come to that country, and, and they were spreading throughout the territories of the world. 
But in a point in time, because of their prosperity, they sank, their government sank in immorality, and people also, you know, had the same problem. Uh, there was a decay of government, a decay in their society. And there was no longer a, a thrust for the gospel. There was no longer a desire for missionaries to go into the world and preach the gospel. And from that point on, I believe, now you can't probably find that in history, but I believe that when they lost that, from that point on, there was a decay in the British Empire. And we've seen that all the way up until our time now. In 1997 was their last territory, which was Hong Kong, I believe. And they say that they voluntarily gave these lands back when that's okay. But still, you know, their decay being a world power was because they lost their vision of the gospel. And God had raised up so many men of God in England, it's, it's crazy. I just wrote some of them down so you could get, get a feel for this. William Tyndale, John Bunyan, he wrote Pilgrim's Progress, John Wesley, Charles Wesley, George Whitfield, Charles Spurgeon, William Wilberforce, who was the man who was instrumental in abolishing slavery in England, and then the writer C.S. Lewis. This is just a few of them. There are many, many, many men of God that he raised up in England uh, to, to help that country stay on a course, and they still did not. They, they ended up de in moral decay and, and so forth. And they even had this, this, has anybody ever heard of the five-mile rule? They came out, this was, I thought, was very interesting. You can go online and just type in five-mile rule and read about it. It's very short. What they did in London, you know, the Church of England was mainly Catholic. They changed, but in certain, mainly throughout many years it was Catholic. And they wanted the people to swear allegiance to the Catholic Church. So if you were a minister, a preacher, and you had a church in London, they came out with this five-mile rule where they stripped you of your parish or, or your, your church, and you were not allowed to live within five miles of that church. And of course, they didn't have cars. That would all be you know, walking. But they, they weren't allowed to go within five miles of, of the church that they stripped them from. And it wasn't, I don't know the exact time, within a year after they did that, I believe God judged London, and you have the, uh, the fire, the London fire of 1666, where it destroyed two-thirds of the city, two-thirds of the city. And I believe the Lord had already brought his people out of there. So I believe that with England, they lost their vision of the gospel, they lost their vision of missionary work, and they started to touch, and, that, and, I, and we don't know what all took place in their country, but I believe they started to touch the people of God, Zion. And that was just one way in God, in, with London there, that the Lord dealt with that thing. Now let's talk about America. Now America is not a world power like we see 
you know, in the Bible, as far as land. But as far as an economic power, there has not ever been a country as strong as the United States as far as economic power. And the dollar standard has been in the world, I don't know, maybe somebody else knows how many years, it's been enforced for many years now. They, they left the gold standard and went to the, the dollar standard. Now, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but America and the dollar and the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence all stand in the way of a one-world government. Do you know that? We believe that the Antichrist at a point in time, do you believe we are living in the last days? It sure seems like it. And in the last days, there will be a push toward the Tower of Babel. There will be a push toward a one-world government and a one-world currency. And to have a one-world currency, you cannot have a dollar standard across the world that's there now. So there are forces at work. The Federal Reserve is one. There are forces at work to bring the dollar down or to degrade the value of the dollar. And this has been seen very much so recently, but this has been systematically uh, happening over the years. And the, uh, the Federal Reserve, just to just touch on this for a second, they want a 2% inflation rate per year. That's what they shoot for. So that doesn't sound like very much at 2%. But in 20 years, you have a, almost a 50% devalue of the, of the dollar, which means that what costs $100 today, in 20 years, is going to cost $150. So as I see it, uh, you know, this is all the world system. They want the devalue to devalue the dollar. They want to destroy the Constitution because the Constitution cannot remain. It's a self-governing document that does not come under UN rule and world rule. And the, the Constitution has been, they started to rewrite it in the 60s, the courts. And, and even today, they're still doing that. And the Declaration of Independence, for example, uh, we hold these truths to be self-evident that we are, we are all endowed. Uh, we all hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. See, that's the biblical principle. And we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that we are all endowed with unalienable, unalienable rights by the Creator for the pursuit of life and liberty. And a one-world government is not interested in your life or your liberty. They're not interested in that. They're interested in control. And so some of these things we have in this country, they are standing in the way of a one world rule. And so there, there must be an attack upon that to bring that down to a place where now there can be a rule over everything by uh, a one, one world government and a one world currency. Now, if you look at the sins of America, 
just one, abortion. Abortion uh, that began in the 70s, 1973, Roe v. Wade, Supreme Court decision, and that's been 40 years. Now let me ask you this. How many people were killed in the Holocaust over in, in, in uh, Europe? Does anybody know? Hmm? No. It was between 17 and 20 million people. That's counting Jews, uh, Poles, and Gypsies. Those were the three main classes they wanted to destroy. They believe now, according to records, and you know records don't always show the whole story, but records are showing that there are, since 1973, in 40 years, we've had 50 million babies born in this country. And it's probably much higher than that. And that's, the Holocaust in Europe isn't even half the number of babies that have been aborted in this country. So God could judge this country just on that one sin, just on that. Not counting the um, fornication and adultery and all the filth that comes across the networks, the sin against children... The greed, uh, I just put a few things, envy, wrath. This is an interesting thing. They polled Americans and they said, what do you think is the biggest sin in your life? And 60% of them said gluttony, eating too much. So there are multiple sins that God can step in and judge this country, and he very well may. But if we see the touching of Zion in this country, be assured that the end is sealed, be assured, it, it's over. And there may come a depression, an economic depression to us that we have not dreamt possible. And how many know how long the Great Depression lasted? 10 years, 10 years. What we're facing in this country and probably will ripple effect throughout the world, can be a, a depression to the likes that we have never, ever seen. Now, I'm not saying these things to scare anyone, because I'm going to go to some scriptures here in a little bit and, and show us what we need to do. So what would you do if you had no hot water in your house? Well, I couldn't live. Well, well yes, you can. What would you do if you didn't have the money to buy clothes? Well, I, if I don't have the modern style and a nice clean shirt, I can't live. Yes, you can. There are people in some other countries that they function and they serve the Lord in poverty. See, what we have, the things we have, see, that has nothing to do with our serving the Lord. Nothing. And the, the sooner we get that in our heart, the better. Now, that's not to say that you, you shouldn't function and do what you do now. You, you know, you just stay in your routines if they're, you know, whatever you do, go to work and whatever. You know, you can't be worried about what may come. But it does seem as though there are things coming. I have said this in my Bible school classes for 15 years now, that... I could see storm clouds on the horizon. And my neighbor, some of the people that you come in contact with, who don't know the Lord, 
they are seeing something coming. They don't know what it is. The, the, my one never said, this is, it's going to get bad. It's going to get bad. I can see it's going to get bad. Why is he seeing that? And some of the Christians don't see it. Why is he seeing certain things? And, you know, all you hear about is this prosperity teaching. There wasn't a whole lot of the prosperity doctrine going around during the Depression, you know, as far as prospering you financially. God's interested in prospering you in the inner man. Now, in Daniel 7, let's go there. Now, there's a verse in Genesis. I'll read it. This is Genesis 15. You don't have to turn there. But in the fourth generation they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete or not yet full. When the Bible says Amorites here, it's referring to all the, um, the Canaanites that were in the land, you know, the Hivites, the Hittites, and all those. So when he says here, the iniquity of the Amorites was not full, there was a time when, when the Amorites, the people of the land, continued in their evilness. And at a point in time, the Lord said, <clears throat> okay, that thing is complete, and now I'm going to judge that, that land and those people, and I'm going to take that land from them. And there you have uh, Joshua going into the land and thrusting them out. But in Genesis, he said, the time was not yet full for that. So God always has in his heart a time when he says, okay, judgment will come here, this nation judgment will come here, and, and so forth. How many here would love to see a tremendous revival in the masses across this country? Nobody. Would you love to see scores and scores of people here come to the Lord? Wouldn't we love to see that? I'm going to tell you something. If there is a depression... And I'm not saying that there's going to be. I'm saying if there is, things are ripe for that. If there is, it's going to be the greatest time we will ever experience. God, if your heart is, is ready and you are walking with him, he's going to take care of you. He's going to supply what you need. And he's going to have you there to meet your neighbors and the masses around. It, it will be the, the greatest time we have ever experienced. Christians, they want to see the miracles. They want to see all these things that we see in the Gospels. But the method by which we may see them, we may not like. We may not be too keen on it. I mean, who wants to see this happen? Nobody. None of us, I think. Maybe some of us. But, it, but it, as you read in Habakkuk, the fig tree shall not blossom, there'll be no fruit in the field, and so yet I will rejoice in the Lord. See, so no matter what's going on here in this life, yet I will focus upon the Lord. In Daniel 7, verse 21, I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them. So the, the Lord sees that, he has a purpose behind it, uh, everyone's faith will be tested to see what quality it is of, and so here you see this, until the ancient of days came and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High God, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom, 
uh, verse 24, uh, the ten horns are ten kings. This is Daniel's vision. Ten horns are the ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom. So there are ten kings. Uh, and then in verse 25, he shall speak, and this is, I believe, speaking of, it says the horn, it's speaking of the Antichrist. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High. He shall persecute the saints of the Most High and shall intend to change times and law uh, then the saints shall be given into his hands for a time and times and half a time. And in Revelation, uh, this is Revelation 13.1, it says this. It, it, it talks about a beast having, is coming out of the sea or out of humanity, having or possessing ten horns. And then ten horns, I believe, is referring to the ten kingdoms. And the ten kingdoms are representative of this great, world government controlled by the Antichrist. So the Bible teaches this. And in, let me see where it is here in 1 John. Hold on a second here. Little children, it is the last hour. And John said back then it was the last hour. And it's progressively, if you look at Matthew 24, it's progressively things are, are seemingly all coming together slowly. It is the last hour, as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. That's, I believe, singular in the Greek. Even now, many Antichrists have come, plural, by which we know that it is the last hour or last season. So he says that there are many Antichrists, and there are today. There are many out there that are Antichrist, anything dealing with Christianity, anything dealing with Jesus Christ, they are against that. And that seems to be gaining momentum in this country because of the change, of course, in the Constitution in the 60s. And it's been, they've been changing it without precedence in the courts. They've been changing it to rewrite certain things. And there are many antichrists in the world, not just this country, in the world. And John says that we know that Antichrist will come. So there, there is coming a time when there will be a one-world currency, we believe, and there will be a, a one-world government to exercise control over every single nation. So the rise of the world government means the fall of those who have great power. Turn to Psalm 78. A few more scriptures in closing. Psalm 78, verse 12. Now, he's talking about marvelous things um, he did in the sight of their father. He's talking about outward miracles. In the land of Egypt, in the field of Zoan, he divided the sea and caused them to pass through. And he made the water stand up like a heap. In the daytime also he led them with the cloud and all the night with, with the light of fire. He split the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink in abundance uh, like the depths. He also brought streams out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers, but they sin sinned even more against him by rebelling against the Most High in the wilderness and they tested God in their heart 
by asking for food in their, uh, of their fancy. Yes, they spoke against God and they said, can God prepare a table in the wilderness? Do you believe that God can prepare a table for you in the coming wilderness? Behold, he struck the rock so that the waters gushed out and the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide meat for his people? Therefore, the Lord, that's what they said. They said that, in, you know, well, can he do this? Can he do that? Therefore, the Lord heard this and was furious. So a fire was kindled against Jacob, and the anger also came up against Israel because they did not believe in God and did not trust his salvation. You see that? They did not believe God, and they did not trust in his salvation, that he could save you in the midst of a difficult time. They didn't believe that. And in Psalm 27, verses 13 and 14, David says this, I had fainted unless I believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And he says this, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, he shall strengthen thy heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Now, in closing, I want to go to Matthew 7. The Lord can prepare a table in the wilderness for you. Now, I, I don't believe and have not admonishing people to uh, buy a house in the country because things are, are going to get bad. I actually have heard that there are people in New York City that have, have wealth that hired a, a, a group of, of uh, bodyguards with certain vehicles that in the sign of trouble would drive to their place, load them up, and if need be, shoot their way out of New York City to get out into the country. I'm not espousing that, nor am I espousing to stockpile food for five years. Because it, let's say you stockpile food for five years and that's your salvation. What if something happens and it lasts for seven years? Or if you stockpile for 10 years, like the Depression, and what if it lasts for 12 or 14 or 16 years? So, so that's not the answer. That's not the answer. In Matthew 7, verse 24, see, see, we need to walk with God today. Today is the day of salvation. Uh, we need to have our hearts waiting upon the Lord. We need to have his salvation today. Uh, we need to allow him to draw us and allow our hearts to be drawn to him, uh, responding to his grace today. Because if we respond to his grace today, then we'll have what we need when the time comes, I believe. Now, in Matthew 7, 24, in closing, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them. So, there's a hearing of the saying and a doing of them. I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. For everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand, and the rains descended, and the floods came. And I believe the floods and the winds are coming. They blew and beat on the house, and it fell, and, and great 
was its fall. So when Jesus says this, the way you build your house on the rock here is through obedience. See, he who hears my sayings and does them, see, he is the one who is in obedience to the Lord, and your obedience will fasten you upon the rock so when the winds and the, and the storms and the, 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 the floods come, you will not be moved. And so the best thing we can do today is be in a time of preparation in our life. Whether, whether there is a, a great economic depression coming or not, it should not matter either or. We should have our hearts focused upon the Lord and be in obedience to Him, whatever that is for you today, you know, or this week or whenever. Uh, you are to be obedient to the Lord in your walk with Him. And as you do that, He will, will fasten you upon the rock. And as you continue to, res to respond to Him and respond to His grace, uh, His grace will be sufficient, like Paul says, for whatever it is that comes. Whatever it is that comes. And there is no reason to be fearful. There is no reason... Uh, to have um, an anxiety attack or anything like that. All we need to do is walk with Him and stay close to Jesus. And that is my message today. I encourage and implore you, myself, all of us, to stay in relationship with Him and to be drawn closer to Him to respond to him, uh, to his sayings, and to do them. And if we do that, there is nothing coming that will be able to move us. There's nothing coming that will cause the spiritual collapse of your house, this house, nothing. The body, as the, the song says, the body they may kill, but thy truth remains still. And the truth he has placed in you, nothing or no one can touch. And so I encourage you today to walk with the Lord.